Thank you, Gray. <clears throat> well, turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today. If you're new with us, let me introduce myself. My name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Salem Chapel. And uh, we are glad that you are here in this room watching us online. Uh, maybe you're listening later on in the week. Uh, God knows, but we are glad that you're here. And uh, we are in a series that we started in the middle of October of this last fall entitled, That You May Believe. And we just took the title of the series straight from what John, the Apostle John, the disciple of Jesus, says is the purpose of this gospel. It says this in chapter 20, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and I know that we have people who, who are here, who are listening, who have realized for the first time that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, that he's lived, he's died, he's been raised again for your sins, and you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ as that. And I am so excited for you that you believe that Jesus is your Savior. There's others of us who have uh, made that decision, that proclamation before we ever started this series, but God is growing you. And believing more and more that he's the Christ, the son of the living God in every aspect of life that you encounter. See, that's just part of our walk with Jesus. None of us are immune from that. That's the blessing of following Jesus, is that he is growing our capacity to see and believe who he says he is. And so today's no different. We're going to look at another story in John chapter 12 of Jesus taking an opportunity to grow those in the story's capacity to see and believe who exactly he says that he is. And so we're just going to jump right into verses 1 through 8. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're only going to deal with eight verses this morning. If you've been following along your reading plan, you've read more than that. Uh, that's the purpose of this, so that you would read through the entire book of John. We don't have time to deal with every verse in the time that we've allotted for this series. You know that later on in chapter 12, we have what's oftentimes talked about in churches on Palm Sunday, where Jesus enter, enters Jerusalem, and they're laying palm fronds down, and they're declaring Hosanna to Jesus. This happens before that. But I believe that this is what Lord, the Lord wants us to see today. So it says in verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Remember last week we were in John 11, Aaron talked about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That's what it says at the end of verse 1. Verse 2, so they gave a dinner for him there, him being Jesus, Martha served, this is the most understated phrase, I think, in the book of John. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with Jesus at the table. Like the guy who was in the grave, who they thought could not be raised from the grave, the guy that was in the tomb, who had been in there for four days, who everybody believed had already started to decay and started to stink. Yeah, that guy's having a dinner with Jesus and everybody else. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Like you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know, I'm kind of kind of struggling to believe in what Jesus said is true. There's Lazarus right across from you. Doubt's gone, right? Like, so, so Lazarus is here at this dinner table. I, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that I just find that, I chuckle to myself at that because I'm like, I can't imagine what that must have been like. 
Now, can I just say as a side note, this is free, by the way. Like, like you didn't have to pay for this at all. Poor, poor Lazarus. Like, the guy's got to die twice, right? But nevertheless, I think Aaron even mentioned that last week. But verse 3, that was free. I'm not even teaching on that fact. Verse 3, many therefore, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. So this perfume that was primarily used for burial, and, and we'll talk more about that, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So, you got a pound, so this is a little over 16 ounces of water. So literally, Mary took about this much ointment and poured it out on Jesus' feet. Guys, this is free as well for you. Some of you think that the ladies are impressed when you take a pound of cologne. Let me make sure this is screwed on. Right? So some of you may be even sitting in a row with somebody and you're like, yeah, yeah, totally. Like I, I, I don't even have to wonder who it is who is like filling up the entire row with the, how does, how does the Bible say it? With the fragrance of their perfume. But nevertheless, we'll talk about the significance of that, verse four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put in it. Now here's what you have to understand. Sometimes we can think that this is being written in real time. But John writes this after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended back into heaven and all of it. So John's actually giving us some inside information that he did not know at the time that this happened. Just Judas's motivations, verse seven. But look at what Jesus says. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you but you do not always have me. So I'm not gonna really spend a lot of time on verse eight this morning, so let me just say this, just so we're clear. Jesus is not saying that it's important to serve the poor. I mean, we can, we can spend a lot of time looking at many passages of scriptures, just alone in the gospels, that, that affirm that we are to care for those that are less fortunate than ourselves. What Jesus is saying is, is Mary is making the right choice with the opportunity that she has here in this moment, okay? So lest you think that Jesus is downplaying the need to minister to the poor, he's not. Here's what I want you to understand. Just some context to this passage of scripture. This is, they're about to enter the most momentous, uh, pivotal week of human history. Like it's hard to think that we're about to enter now Everything that we talk about from here on out in John chapter 13 headed to John 20 is in the last week of Jesus going to the cross. This is everything that happens from 13 all the way to 19 is the holy week that we think of. Even though we're not right there in calendar time, we're still in February, everything that we're looking at. So Jesus is about to enter the most uh, momentous, pivotal week of human history where he's crucified, but he's given this dinner. They're here celebrating. Look at what Jesus has done. He's raised our brother from the dead. But what's interesting is Matthew and Mark also give an account to this story as well. 
And what we see in Matthew and Mark is that this dinner was held at Simon the leper's house, the person that Jesus healed from leprosy. So not only do you have Lazarus there who has benefited from Jesus' earthly ministry, who was once dead and is now alive and he's sitting there at the table like we already kind of joked about, but, but we also have someone who was healed from leprosy hosting the dinner. So you have a plethora of people who have literally been touched by Jesus, healed miraculously from things that were not commonplace at all, to be delivered from. But here's what I find interesting, is that's not as emphasized as much as the act of Mary in this passage. Mary breaks a pound of expensive perfume and pours it out on Jesus' feet. And that is the thing that is emphasized in spite of everything else amazing. What is emphasized by this disciple, John, and even Matthew and Mark, where these accounts are also mentioned, is Mary's worship of Jesus. See, here's the title of the message this morning. Gratitude motivates worship. It's so important for us to understand tonight, today. Gratitude motivates Worship. Here's the idea that I want you to get today, and then we're going to unpack in these verses that the measure of your worship of Jesus is motivated by the measure of your gratitude for Jesus. See, here's something that we need to grasp because. Depending on what background you come from, you have gotten skewed into thinking that your motivation for worshiping Jesus comes from another place than your gratitude for Jesus. See, some of us have been here and we're like, man, if I'm really to think about, man, I grew up in church and my motivation to worship Jesus was, was motivated out of guilt, not gratitude. It was motivated out of what I'm supposed to give, rather than being motivated by what I've been given. And what I want you to see today is the measure of your worship of Jesus. Man, what motivates that is your gratitude for Jesus. As the capacity of my gratitude grows, so the capacity of my worship grows. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you three reasons why that's a true statement. But before I do... I just want us to quickly stop, and I want us to pray this. But before I tell you what I want us to pray, here's I want to tell you why I want us to pray it first. Because I know that we can easily come into this room where you're watching me, wherever you're watching me right now, or listen to me, whatever's going on as you're listening to me right now, and we can be weighed down with a lot of things. And being weighed down by a lot of things, what it does is it, it causes us to not be motivated to worship, but it actually motivates us to move from worship of Jesus. And I think it's because we've messed up where the motivation comes from. And so what I want you to pray is this. Lord, would you show me why I should be grateful today. 
Would you show me that? Would you show me where the motivation of my worship should come from? Would you pray with me? God, we're here today. Your word is opened. Lord, we rest in the reality and the truth that your mouth is open. God, it's impossible for me to know what every person is wrestling with in their mind as I'm talking right now. But God, I rest in the reality that you know, that your Holy Spirit knows. And you will take your word and apply it exactly where it needs to be. So God, may we be ready to respond in obedience. May we be ready to respond in gratitude as you grow our capacity to understand how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you the first reason why the measure of your worship is motivated by the measure of your gratitude for Jesus. Number one, your worship of Jesus will cost you. But your gratitude for Jesus will determine how much you're willing to pay. The reason I say that is look at the beginning of verse three again. It says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now here's what we know about the majority of the people that followed Jesus. They were not wealthy people. And there's debate whether or not Mary came from a wealthy family or Mary of Bethany came from not a wealthy family. Here's another thing that we need to acknowledge. There's a lot of Marys in the Gospels. Can we just acknowledge that? Like you got Mary, the mother of Jesus, you've got Mary Magdalene, you got this Mary of Bethany, so don't confuse Mary of Bethany with the mother of Jesus or Mary Magdalene. This is a different Mary. So we don't know if she had a lot or she had a little. Here's what we do know is what she poured out on Jesus' feet cost a lot of money. 300 denarii. One denarii was a day's wage. So 300 days wages is what this pound of ointment cost that she poured out on Jesus' feet. So think about whatever you make in a year and think about if you would do what Mary did. So let's not be self-righteous in this place. Because if I'm just gonna be transparent with you, I would probably at least think twice whether or not that was a good idea. But we don't see where Mary struggles with this. But here's what I do ask myself. Why was Mary the only one that seemed to understand what Jesus was about to head into this week? You ever ask yourself that when you're reading this passage of scripture this week or you've read it before? Like, why did Mary seem to be the only one who understood what Jesus was about to endure? Because there was a purpose behind why she did this. And let me also say this, that in Luke chapter 10, we have another story of Martha serving. She's serving in the kitchen. She's getting a little hot and bothered because nobody else is helping her, and Mary's at the feet of Jesus. That's a different story than what we find here, just in case you were wondering. Here it just says Martha serves, so I guess she learned her lesson. Like, okay, everything's under control. This is my way of worshiping Jesus. I'm good. That's a different, this is a different story than there. But I asked myself, why was it that Mary seemed to be the only one who understood what Jesus was about to endure? Because Jesus didn't leave it a mystery. In Mark chapter 10, which is around the account of this story in John, this is what Jesus says. We are going up to Jerusalem. 
And the Son of Man will be betrayed, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. I think Jesus is pretty clear in that. Are you, are, do you struggle with that? I think he's pretty clear. You know, earlier on in his ministry, he seems like he's speaking in riddles a little bit. Jesus is clear on, when I go to Jerusalem, this is why I'm going. Mary got it. You know why Mary had it, got it? Because Mary always seems to be at the feet of Jesus. Like if you look at every account that Mary of Bethany is, is mentioned, that's where she always is. The story of the supper held for Jesus in her own home. Guess where Mary is? At the feet of Jesus. That's where Martha's getting all hot and bothered. The supper at which... You know, you see that in Luke 10. You see her at Jesus' feet. In John 11, you see her at Jesus' feet here. But she had an understanding what Jesus was about to do for her, and her response was worship because she understood that sitting at Jesus' feet is where worship starts. See, for some of us, our capacity for gratitude isn't that great because if we're honest with ourselves, we haven't sat at Jesus' feet. Here at Salem Chapel, we believe that's so important. That's why we put together discipleship tools. That's why we put together a journal, an abide journal that gives you a way to read the Bible, gives you a way to pray. Why? Because we want to come as a guide and say, we want to help you understand how, what it looks like to abide with Jesus, to walk hand in hand with him as he leads the way, to sit at his feet the reason why we've created a ministry and part of our discipleship is to, is to help you care for you when you're hurting, when circumstances seem big and God seems small, is because we want to provide you with a biblical framework to help you know how to sit with Jesus. Because it's only by sitting with Jesus that my understanding of Jesus' love for me grows, which in turn motivates me to worship him. See, worship of Jesus costs you because if it didn't, it wouldn't be worship. Like the thought never went into Mary's mind, let me give to Jesus something that didn't cost me anything. But no, 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 Mary understood, no, 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 part of worship means it costs me something. And it's not that it costs me something because I need to earn God's favor. No, 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 there's gonna be times in my life where the Lord asks me to pour something out as a part of my worship. And what motivates me to say, you know what, I'm gonna take this thing, this thing that I cherish, this thing that I've been saving up for, this thing that I've worked my whole life for, whatever it is, this thing that gives me a sense of significance, and I'm gonna pour it out. And I, my motivation for doing that is not guilt, it's gratitude. But gratitude only comes when you sit at the feet of Jesus. Romans 5.5 5 is a great verse. It says this, hope does not put us to shame. What's the motivation to hold what you love with open hands? 
What's the motivation to say, as Romans 12 says, Lord, my life is a living sacrifice. And by saying, Lord, everything that I have is yours. My time, my talents, my treasures, everything that I have is yours. God, there's no price that's too great. Whatever it is, Lord, it's yours. What's the motivation for that? Gratitude. But so often our response can be, no, 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 I gotta hoard it. No, 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 I gotta guard it. Or how about this? We regret it. We regret it. We think of the times that we paid the price that Jesus was asking us to pay. We said no to that. We said no to a relationship that we knew that wasn't right. We broke that relationship off. And we broke it off thinking, well, God's gonna replace it with somebody better. And that better person hasn't come yet. And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that again. You stepped out in faith in some way and you're like, okay, Lord, I, I was obedient to what you called me to do. I saw it as an act of worship. But the problem is, is you haven't replaced whatever I gave up in my mind and I don't feel like we made a good exchange here. And so I look at what worship cost me as being more than what you gave And though we don't oftentimes voice it like that, that's the way that we feel. See, we know theologically that's not right, but that's how we feel. Can I just be transparent with you? I've felt like that before. I didn't want to voice it because I felt ashamed in voicing it because I knew theologically it wasn't right. See, it says hope does not put us to shame. There's not shame when you place your hope in Jesus. Circumstances can bring shame, but when my hope is in Jesus, it's never the wrong move. When I worship Jesus and he asks me to give up something, to lay something down, not even just wanting me to be willing to lay it down, not even that he may take it, but just laying it down. There's no shame in that type of hope. What's our assurance? It says, put it up there, Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame. Can you say that next word with me? It starts with a B. Because. Here's the anchor. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Whatever the Lord asks me to pour out, Whatever it is, the motivation to pour it out is gratitude and understanding that Jesus poured out more. And whatever Jesus will pour out will fill and replace whatever he's asking me to pour out. That's part of us growing in our walk with Jesus. Jesus is about growing our capacity. See, when you get, put your faith in Jesus, you're like, okay, I look at myself, I'm looking, I'm a new believer, and, and there's just so many things that I don't understand, and you're like, okay, my capacity to understand and be grateful for Jesus' love for me is like a 32-ounce cup, 
And it gets filled. I'm like, this is so amazing. And then you become a believer for longer and longer. And you know what the struggle can be? All of a sudden, the cup that is circumstances seems more than 32 ounces, and you're like, but you trust Jesus and you continue to sit with Jesus and you're in his word and you're praying and you're learning and you're growing and what the Lord does, he grows that capacity to be filled with the love that Jesus has for you. He continues to pour it out. And as I continue to trust him, as I continue to worship him, as I continue to remind myself of all the ways that Jesus' love can be applied in my life, in the hurts and the blessings, you know what the Holy Spirit is doing? He is growing your capacity to understand and be filled with his love for you. And Mary's understood that. So I'm sure there's aspects that Mary didn't understand why she was breaking this open. We don't see that Jesus asked her to break this ointment and anoint it in Jesus' feet. But God had a purpose in her doing that. And she obeyed. And she was willing. And she didn't regret it. And she didn't contemplate the cost of it. Why? Because she understood how much Jesus' love for her was. See, when our gratitude grows, our worship grows. And whatever God is asking us to hold with open hands, it will be viewed as a privilege, as much or if not more than a sacrifice. Here's the second reason that this statement of the measure of your worship of Jesus is motivated by the measure of your gratitude of Je- for Jesus is true. Number two, your worship of Jesus is a selfless act. But your gratitude for Jesus' love will determine how much you're willing to humble yourself. Worship is always a selfless act. Can I just say this and, and just be, because I don't want anybody to be confused Worship is more than something that starts in your vocal cords and comes out your mouth. That's a fruit of your worship. But worship is a selfless act. Here's why I say this. It says that she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Here's something else that you understand contextually during this time. Touching the feet of someone else was viewed as a very humbling thing. Like when you would come in to someone's house and eat, there would, be, there would be servants there that would wash your feet because the roads were all dusty and that was just, that was as much as of a hygiene thing as washing your hands as washing your feet. You would have servants there. And if Mary was from a wealthy family, she for sure had people there to do it for the guests of honor that were there. But Mary chose to do it. Some of you got a foot fetish yourself, so you're like, I totally get it, totally get it. You don't want my husband touching my feet, touching me with his feet, or my wife touching me with her feet, or anybody. Like, so you get it. But Mary does something that only a servant would do. And then it says that she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Something that you need to understand is Jewish women always wore their hair up. It was, it was just something that if you took your hair down, it was something that you only did in the privacy of your, of your home with your spouse. So it was in many ways viewed as a shameful thing to do. In fact, 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen 15 talks about a woman's hair is her glory. 
Thankfully, he didn't say a man's hair is his glory because we'd be in trouble. And I see some people that I ain't the only one that's in that boat. But since a woman's hair is her glory, you know what I love about that? Mary laid her glory down at the feet of Jesus. She took on the form of a servant. She took the place of what someone else was paid to do, and Mary's like, no, 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 I wanna do it. I see it as a privilege. I wanna worship Jesus. I see it as a selfless act. And there is nothing about this that's making me not wanna humble myself in this way. What did Jesus' love do for you? What did it do for you? Because I'm about to read some verses and I almost struggle with reading these verses because for many of us in this room, we know them so well. And because we know them so well, we've grown numb to the reality of these verses. We've grown numb to the power of these verses. And it's not because God's word doesn't have power, it's just because we view them as, yeah, I know that. But if you're in a place today and you're struggling to worship Jesus, these are the very things that you need to bring yourself back to. It's not worshiping him out of guilt. It's not worshiping him out of obligation. It's not worshiping so that you can get his approval. It's worshiping him out of gratitude. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this, have this mind among yourselves I don't know if you've ever caught this before, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what we're about to do, Jesus has already given you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the capacity to do this. It's already yours. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know what sticks out to me when I read these verses that are so familiar? Is it reminds me that Jesus came to this earth and put on human flesh to serve me. Jesus came to this earth to serve you. Did he come to do what we couldn't do and to absolve God's wrath that was meant for our sin and for him to endure that on himself? Yes, but he came to serve you. And what motivated that service to you? You know what it was? It was his love for you. So when I'm asked... And I'm in a situation where there's not a doubt in my mind or in your mind that I'm in a situation right now where I have the choice to humble myself or to rise up and say, it's about me. What motivates me to say, no, 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 Lord, part of my worship is to humble myself in this way. You know what motivates me? Understanding and having gratitude for Jesus' love for me. There's gonna be times in your life where there's gonna be significant moments where you're gonna have to humble yourself. You're gonna be faced with that choice. Where you gotta say, it's not about my rights, 
It's not about my reputation. It's not about my money. It's not about my goals. It's not about my dreams. And I don't say that, that God's this God that just takes everything good away. That's not what I'm saying. But there's gonna be moments in your life where you're gonna be faced with a choice. Do I humble myself or not humble myself? And see it as an opportunity to worship. See as an opportunity to trust. See as an opportunity to putting what First Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. See, your worship of Jesus is a selfless act. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a worship of Jesus. It would be a worship of you. But it's my gratitude for Jesus that says, Lord, I'm willing to humble myself. Here's the last reason. Why this statement of the measure of my worship of Jesus is motivated by my gratitude for Jesus. Number three, your worship of Jesus is shameless. But your gratitude for Jesus' love will determine how much you care about the approval of others. Why do I say that? Because in verses four and five, unfortunately, you have Mary do this generous, sacrificial thing. I mean, she's willing to pay the price. She's willing to wash Jesus' feet. She's willing to anoint, to wipe her, his feet with her hair. Like, like she's done so much already of what no one else would do. But then you've got Judas over in the corner who's criticizing her for it. What a waste. Like you could have given that to the poor and we know his motivations. John makes it clear. But what Matthew and Mark tell us is that the disciples also come and chime in on saying that this was not a wise move to make. See, it's easy for us to look at Judas and say, well, Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas was, Judas was never a follower of Jesus. Judas never believed in Jesus. So we expect that out of Judas. But in the other accounts in Matthew and Mark, it's mentioned that the disciples chime in. And I think we'd be naive to think that Mary didn't hear that. When they weren't living in 2,500, 3,000 square foot homes back then. Mary would have heard that. She would have heard those doubts. But she never felt shame. Why? Because she was focused on Jesus. That's why I say, your worship of Jesus is shameless. See, when I live for the approval of others, here's what oftentimes happens. They question my motivations. They question my heart. People can make up things, accusations, because really they feel guilty about what you're doing. I mean, we could go on and on and on, right? And what happens when I live for the approval of others? You know what one of the consequences so often is? They heap shame on me. You didn't measure up. You're not good enough. You're, you let me down. And when I'm worshiping at the altar of the approval of others, there's often only shame. But I love this woman, Mary, who's at Jesus' feet and there's whispers over there, and there's talking over there, and there's gauging of what her motivations may be, and all she's focused on is Jesus. That's why I say worshiping at the feet of Jesus is a shameless place. 
And some of us in this room are watching me online have got up into thinking because of our backgrounds that worshiping Jesus starts off with guilt. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't start off with guilt. It starts off with grace. I don't know about you, but I didn't need anybody to make me feel guilty about any of the wrong things that I've done. That's why Jesus says to Nicodemus, I've not come into the world to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. I've come to give life and to give it abundantly. But you know what unfortunately keeps us from worshiping Jesus and growing in our capacity? Right from that 32 ounce cup to continue to grow in capacity. You know what, you know what keeps us growing in that? It's seeing and believing and growing in our gratitude of Jesus' acceptance for me. Jesus, there was nothing that I could do to ever warrant God's favor. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. The only reason right now that I can talk to you and be accepted by you and experience your love for me is what you did for me. And Jesus, with you, when my Bible's open and I'm talking to you, that's the most shameless place that I'll ever find. But unfortunately, our approval of others and our desire for it and our care about it robs us of that. Let me give you two dangers of being for the approval of others. Number one, the approval of others never satisfies the longing of your heart to be accepted. Can I just let you know these two dangers? You know why I can identify them as dangers? Because I've been motivated by these things. You know what I've found in my life? That when I get approval from others, it's a quick fix. Makes me feel good in the moment, but you know, in a matter of sometimes hours, you know what I want more of? The approval of others. (laughs) Here's another danger. The approval of others enslaves you to something that you can never live up to. Listen to me. My wife can never live up to the expectations that I so often want to move from Jesus and put on her. And the reverse is true. The expectations that I want to place on friends to be what only Jesus has already promised to be, they can never live up to them. Let me get real transparent. I'm never going to be able to live up to the expectations that you want to place on me that should only be placed on Jesus. We set ourselves up for shame rather than saying, no, 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 no. The one place that I can go to that is shameless is the thing that actually fills me. What did we say Romans 5, 5 says? God's love is poured out in our hearts through Jesus Christ. If you're struggling with that, let me give you a passage of scripture that's ministered to me. Psalm 146, look at verses three through nine. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. You know what the application of that is? If you're living for the approval of me, there's gonna come a day where I'm gone. So you're going to have to find someone else to look for approval from. But verse 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, 
who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, who sets the prisoners free. Here's what I can so often do. I can look to you to execute justice. I can look to you to give food where I'm hungry. I can look to you to set me free. I can look to you to open up my blindness. But what does it say? The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Mary knew whose approval she was looking for. It was her king. And because she understood that, that place of worship at Jesus' feet with all the noise around her wanting to bring shame on her, she was at a place where there was no shame. And the result of Mary's worship, you want to know what the result was? It's what I joked about. Look at verse 3. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The whole house was filled with Mary's understanding, with Mary's gratefulness for Jesus' love for her. You want to find harmony in your home? You have a household who constantly keeps in the forefront of their mind how loved they are by Jesus. That's harmony in the home. I want you to say this phrase and then we'll be closing. I want you to say this, I am loved by Jesus. Can you say that? I am loved by Jesus. Say it again. I'm loved by Jesus. One more time. I am loved by Jesus. See, your worship of Jesus is motivated by Jesus' love for you. It's what motivates you to pay the cost of whatever Jesus may be asking you to let go of that you're worshiping other than him. It's the thing that motivates you to humble yourself when your rights are being called into question. It's the thing that you run to when the approval of others seems to be overwhelming and you bring yourself back to, no, 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 Jesus' love for me and my worship of him and my sitting at his feet is a shameless place. I want to read to you the lyrics of a song that we're going to sing because I don't want to miss us to miss it when we sing. Sometimes we sing songs and we miss the significance. Here's these words. They fit in so well to what we looked at today. It's a song entitled Gratitude. It says, all my words fall short. I got nothing new. Now, some of us, everything that I've said today, it's not new to you. We didn't make it a bad thing, but it's not new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must end, but you never do. 
So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again because all that I have is a hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king except for a heart that sings hallelujah. I've got one response. I've got just one move. So with my arms stretched wide, I will worship you. So I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again because all that I have is a hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah. So come on, my soul. Don't get shy on me. Lift up your song because you have a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. And some of us have come into this room and we're like, I got nothing. But I want you to understand that the Jesus that you worship does not pour shame on you for that. He just says, I'll take your nothing. I'll take whatever you have. Because what I want is you. Gratitude motivates worship. Would you stand with me this morning, God? Let us not miss this simple, but so often such a hard truth to live. Because we have allowed our worship of other things to crowd out our gratitude for you. And there is no one else on this earth or in heaven for all of eternity that will love us as much as you love us. So God, may we be people that grow in our gratitude as we sit at your feet and spend time with you. Would we allow your love to speak to our fears? Would we allow our, your love to speak to our shame? Would we allow our love, your love to speak to our guilt? Would we allow your love to speak to our pain? And as we sit with you, you grow our hearts to receive more of the love that you want to continually pour out in us so that as we grow in that, we also grow in our worship. So God, right now, in this very time and this very place, may we worship you, not from a place of guilt, but from a place of gratitude. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Let's sing together.